0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Everything Building Envelope. I'm your host, Paul Beers. Everything Building Envelope podcast features topics of interest related to the exterior building envelope, including waterproofing, glazing, cladding, and roofing. We feature relevant topics and guests and want to engage you, the listener, with thought-provoking content. Please visit our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com, where you'll find access to each episode, along with show notes and a special video selection with bonus content. Please subscribe to the Everything Building Envelope podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. We've got a really interesting topic today. It revolves around architectural glass and emerging trends in the industry. Really excited about our guest, somebody I've known for a long time, Jeff Riggett, who works with ViraCon in the Florida and Caribbean territory. Hello there, Jeff. Good morning. So thanks very much for coming along today. And I know that this is gonna really be of interest to our listeners. Before we dive into the topic, could you maybe tell us a little bit about your background?
1: You bet, uh, first off, uh... Paul, I just want to say thank you to yourself and GCI for arranging the uh, the podcast today, and, and welcome in to uh, all the folks who are listening or or will be listening. You so, I started my career. Um, goodness, I, we're dating ourselves here, but back in the uh, 1980s uh, with Conair Company at the time on the metal framing side of the architectural window business up in the in, in Atlanta in the southeast in field sales, and um, Late in the uh, in the 80s, I left Conair, went to work for a a glazing contractor in, in Alabama, um, uh, more or less um, in the sales side of the business as well, still promoting the Conair product through this glazing contractor. And then uh, in the early 90s, after Hurricane Andrew hit, Paul, there was a a, a need for development of product, as you recall, for the, the upcoming hurricane codes that were. Um, you were heavily in, 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 invested in time and, and generating. Um, so Conair came calling, and I went back to Conair to head down to Miami in, in the early 1990s, around 93 or 94. Again, it was just after Andrew, in effort to um, basically spearhead the business development and the the uh, design side of all things Hurricane Impact that were to forthcome with the with the 1994 South Florida Building Code. And so um, I did that, um, goodness, for three or four years. It carried me up to about 96 or 97, and and working at the test labs uh, with Conair and developing a testing product and getting it ready for uh, registration in South Florida to do business. I was buying glass at that time from uh, Viracon. We were buying laminated glass to uh, use as infill panels for the hurricane testing, and I had, obviously I had a relationship with Viracon in, in years past and always had a great deal of respect for for the company and its leadership and and uh made the transition over to Viracon in about nineteen ninety seven or ninety-eight and uh been here ever since and basically in a in a business development role here in Florida, and as you mentioned in the Caribbean too, in sales and marketing, uh promoting for uh for, for ViroCon. So I've I've been blessed to uh, to work for two pretty good companies in my career, both Con Air. On the metal side, now Viracon on the glass side,
0: yeah, and Viracon, you know we work with them a we work with them a lot, and they really are one of the leaders in the industry. Maybe you could tell the listeners a little bit about who they are and what they do as far as how they uh, fit into the industry sure,
1: so Viracon uh,
0: probably the uh, the biggest misnomer
1: that I get quite often is uh, folks um particularly architects, think. Uh, we're a glass manufacturer, and so I'll, I'll establish that fine line between the two. We're actually a glass fabricator. The manufacturing of glass is done by names such as PPG and, and Pilkington, uh, Cardinal um, here in North America, Guardian, and, um, and AGC being the fifth. So those are the folks that melt the sand, Paul, and make the large raw sheets of, of glass that we then take as a fabricator and then we transform that into value-added products specific to a building facade design. All things such as cutting glass, treating it, uh, adding solar energy efficient coatings, which we'll discuss later, uh, laminating it for uh, threat mitigation, whether it be impact for hurricane or, or for blast or uh, or other threats, insulating glass. Um, so all things value added to the outside of the building envelope with respect to architectural commercial glass. Uh, Viracon is uh, headquartered in Minnesota. Um, we've uh, been in business now for uh, about 45 years, memory serves, and we have offices in manufacturing plants in Statesboro, Georgia, as well as southern Utah and St. George. So we, we have three North American manufacturing plants and then one in, um, in Sao Paulo, Brazil, uh, named Glassic. We have a, a joint venture with a company in Brazil uh, servicing uh, uh, Latin America or South America, again called Glassac.
0: So, Jeff, I've been to a couple of the, of the Viracon facilities, the one in Statesboro and the one, forgive me if I mispronounce this, Oatana. I think I got yeah. that right. Well done. And they are really impressive. I mean, they're very large. They're state of the art. And, and I think it reflects the you know, the quality of the product that, that Viracon produces. I know that, you know, nobody's perfect, but Viracon, for sure, in my book, seems to be, you know, one of the leaders in, in quality. So, you know, you got to give credit where credit is due. So let's talk a little bit, let's get into our, today's topic, Um, you know, trends in the glazing industry. The the thing that really gets, the questions that we get asked a lot now by architects and others is the, about the energy code. It's a big deal. Obviously it's a big focus, you know, buildings use a lot more energy than say automobiles do. And um, there's been a lot of, of I guess the, I would say the codes have evolved over time. In Florida, the 2014 commercial residential energy code brought some big changes to the market. And I was hoping that you could talk about that a little bit, such as you know when, when it was adopted and what the changes were, et cetera.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it's interesting, uh, when you speak about energy codes in Florida, it's, it, it is a relative new uh, environment for us here. We're, we're sort of behind the eight ball with, uh, the, with the balance of the country that's been dealing with higher higher energy efficiency on, on their buildings for a number of years through the ICC. Florida I did adopt the energy code in the 2014, the, the most current code, uh, that enacted actually in July, Paul, of 2015. So it's a 14 building code but enacted in July of 15, so there's a date to remember. So permits that were pulled prior to July 1st of last year actually would have been uh, permitted under the 2010 Florida Building Code, which there was an energy requirement uh, within that code, but it was not um, enforced. Uh, There may have been some local enforcements, uh, but it didn't become mandatory until enactment of the 14 code, again, in July of of 15. And and with that enactment came, as you stated, major changes in in the energy requirements to um, we'll, we'll keep it, for the purposes of this call, to, to the building envelope. So windows and doors, uh, fixed glazing in general, uh, now have to comply prescriptively or with um, alternatively with a whole building energy modeling compliance, and the prescriptive compliance pathway has fixed glazing performing to an SHGC call of 0.25 and a U-factor of 0.50, and basically that... That correlates to using an insulated and laminated for hurricane uh, impact uh, units. So, no longer prescriptively does Florida comply with uh, the energy requirements using just a monolithic laminated impact unit would have to be insulated to meet those requirements. Basically, we're well, asking with that. Can,
0: I can remember... You know like forever the, the the energy glass that was for energy in florida was like bronze tinted glass and this is obviously a big change from that and people yeah. in the industry i guess even myself included to some extent didn't have to pay a lot of attention to the energy requirements But before we talk about the, the um the performance path sure. which you mentioned already can you just you mentioned so, SHGC and U-value. Can you just sort of explain each of those um, values for us? Sure.
1: So solar heat gain coefficient uh, or, or SHGC, basically correlates to the amount of radiant energy that's transmitted through the glass uh, from the solar spectrum, of course, the sun. So in, in layman's terms, an SHGC of 0.25, we're asking the glass in the window to block about 75% of the radiant heat energy that would be transferred through it, which is a pretty aggressive number. Um, the, uh, the U factor, I'll step back and point out that the lower that, H, that SHGC value, the higher the performance of the glazing. So, for example, uh, a 0.20 SHGC is more energy efficient than a 0.25, if that makes sense. So the lower the number, the better the performance. U value is the air-to-air temperature conductivity through the glazing. It's the inverse of R value. So a glazing U value, let's say an insulated unit with a low E coating has a a U value of 0.25, that correlates to an R value of 4. Remember, R value is the inverse of U. So you can right way see that even in an insulated unit with a, a very high-performing low-E coating, a U value of uh, 0.25 is only an R of 4. So glass is highly conductive to, uh, uh, to air and, and to heat, for that matter. So the SHGC and the U factor are the two primary values in the energy code uh, that, that um, uh, MVPs are looking at when they're doing their energy modeling. Uh, there are some other things to consider. Uh, obviously, ultraviolet light transmittance—you want to try to min- minimize that. Not code required, but things that architects should have on their design radar screen. And visible light. You know, you want to be able to balance the proper amount of visible light for the for the nature and the use of the building relative to the SHGC requirements, whether it be the .25 prescriptively or something higher than that, if it's. If it's done through whole building um, energy modeling, so if you want to balance or right size of visible light transmittance for
0: for the building need as well. Let me ask you another question. Um, you mentioned high performance low E coatings. You know that's something we hear a lot about, and I just put new windows in my house in Florida that have the low E coatings on them. Can you kind of talk a little bit about what? Well, I guess my first question would be: is is low is low e coating the state of the art these days? And then the follow up is just you know what's it all about?
1: Yeah, so I'll try to I'll try to keep that uh, very complex answer short (laughs) if possible. So bear with me. Uh, Coatings, I'll just step back. All coatings relative to glass technology, they're thin film metals that are embedded under the glass surface for energy efficiency and. A little bit before my time, and, and uh, I think before yours as well, I remember back in the, in the mid-70s, the flash cube reflective buildings that were that were being designed with these very high mirrored light coatings, uh, which in some instances are still very much used today. The, the benefit of those coatings obviously being mirrored in reflectivity, they were they were negating the solar heat gain transmittance through the glass, but also they were negating valuable visible light transmittance. So they were very good energy performers relative to, to SHGC, but not very friendly to visible light transmittance. So along came, in the 80s, low emissivity coatings. Again, thin film technology, more silver-based metals uh, than anything else. And these were spectrally selective coatings, Paul. They enabled uh, the glass or the coating enabled the uh, the passage of the all-important natural uh, visible daylight transmittance and had fairly good solar heat gain uh, reflectivity, not as high as the the, uh, the mirrored reflectives prior, but it was a good balance, if you will, natural daylight coming through the glass with um, relatively good SHGC performance. Today, to your question, what would be considered state-of-the-art today, what we see the industry, at least here in, in the U.S., we see a, a combination of the two, low-E and the solar reflective coatings, and, and more of a hybrid, if you will. Where you get a unique exterior vibrancy or radiancy to the coating, yet you get the natural passage of daylight. So, at first glance, some of these buildings, and you're familiar with them um, throughout Florida, um, mostly in Miami, on the high-rise towers, you, you get a, a very vibrant exterior appearance visually, but you can see through the window itself. There's a there's a, um, a view into the building from into the public space from the exterior streetscape. So they're they're more of a welcoming. Type coating, And we can tune or the market can tune these coatings to the amount of reflectivity that's visually tolerable for the design. So those are hybrid coatings. They're very uh, effective with solar heat gain performance. And they're also very uh, effective for natural visible light transmittance. Again, depending upon the nature and
0: use of the building itself. And you guys have a lot of flexibility with coming up with what the architect wants as far as color goes by blending um, glass tints and coatings and things like that and even interlayers correct
1: we do so one of the things that makes viricon unique in the marketplace is we're a a fabricator that self-performs our own coatings so we uh, we design engineer and manufacture both reflective and low emissivity coatings and the hybrid coatings and we have the ability of doing it in-house therefore we can apply it to any substrate so any of the available raw tints that i mentioned the manufacturers produced earlier in the conversation we can apply it to any of those substrates and for that matter multiple surfaces so we have more flexibility uh, being a, uh, a self-performed uh, coating company uh, of offering an, uh, a more versatile package for designers and developers to fine-tune exactly the glass that they're looking for, both visually and from a performance standpoint of their building.
0: Jeff, going down memory lane, I remember you and I were working on a project in the Caribbean, and the architect said he wanted the glass to be the same color as the bottom of a Coke bottle. <laughs> that is Coke a bottle good. green, as I recall, the conversation went, yeah. But we did it.
1: We did it. Yeah, we did it. So, yeah, and uh, it's a great point. One of the things that um, uh, folks know uh, in the industry is that clear glass isn't really clear. There's a iron content in the raw material itself that tends to read a, a light green tint. Uh, thus, the name, the Coke bottle green tint of clear glass. So, um, uh, years uh, ago the manufacturers, the raw manufacturers, developed what was called low-iron glass to, from a retail perspective, to try to get that ultra-visible transparency of the glass, you know, to, uh, uh, again, from, from more of a retail perspective. So you hear the term low-iron glass thrown around in the marketplace, and that's just that. It's, it's designed and intended to uh, maximize the transmittancy and, and to reduce that green issue that's typical of clear glass.
0: Clear glass that's uh, really clear. Owners don't like paying for it, though, I can tell you from the times we've looked at it. So, retail is yep. a little, not so much glass, but if you get a big building, it doesn't always go so well when it gets the budget time.
1: Paul, well, it's a great point. You know, uh, when Low Iron first was introduced, you know, each of these five float manufacturers now, they all have their own version. Uh, Starfire from PPG, for example, or Optiwhite from Pilkington there are others. Um, as competition entered, the pricing did come down, but it is still today a premium, and I think it's regionally specific. You know, you, you see there's, there's such a demand and for, from a, a development standpoint, of that low entry cost of construction. I would say that the Northeast and even the Midwest, you see more use of the low iron product there, where where uh, it's a little bit more accepted from a from a cost standpoint. But, yeah, hopefully you'll see more of it. I'm starting to see specs change where architects are they're always pushing the envelope of trying to maximize visible light and transparency of glass. And I am seeing that trend slowly make its way into floor
0: Nice. So we were talking before about the energy code and the prescriptive path versus the performance path. Can you you may have already said it and if you did, I apologize, but it won't hurt to say it again. Can you tell us what the values are with the prescriptive path and then what is the performance path?
1: Sure, so the the prescriptive path, um, again, it's more simple in nature uh, where it just calls for uh, an SHGC, a fixed glazing of 0.25 and and a U-factor which is somewhat different from U-value. U-factor is the overall thermal conductivity to the glass and the window frame combined, Paul, and the U-factor has to be uh, 0.50, for, again, for fixed glazing. It, uh, those values do change once you get into operable glazing or uh, uh, entry doors. Those values go up or down uh, somewhat, but basically uh, they all would correlate prescriptively into using insulated glass, as I pointed out prior. What I'm... I'm seeing more on, on monumental architectural projects in Florida is the, the pathway for complying uh, using whole building energy modeling. In other words, invoking an MEP to come in and do an energy study of the building. And what that does, it enables more flexibility in the facade performance numbers that may still correlate over to insulated glass or may not, depending upon the exposure of the glass per elevation. And the amount of square footage, what we call window to wall ratio uh the amount of vision glass, if you will to the to the other cladding materials on the building facade, so you know again, in layman's terms, probably the easiest way I can I can say it is it's sort of robbing from Peter to pay Paul within the building so you're you're able to use balance the, the the energy consuming entities in the building and have maybe less performance in the facade for higher performance elsewhere or vice versa. Again, the whole intent there at compliance uh, with whole building energy modeling is to de- design more flexibility into the design and, and allow uh, a greater range of, of, uh, of glass to select from.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So what's going on with, we we're talking about the energy codes. What architecture speaking, what are the current fenestration design trends that you're seeing in building facades?
1: You know, I I would say uh, there's a couple uh, that uh, are are really going around from a national standpoint. I I think that the the biggest uh, change that we've seen in in our business, again, thinking as a a large contract commercial supplier, um, is bigger glass. Um, And I'll I'll come back to that trend in Florida in a minute. But just overall, uh, in the U.S., there's a trend to add more glass to buildings. Larger panel sizes, uh, which really goes um, uh, against uh, the energy requirements. Where you're trying to add more glass, that you're saying, okay, we're wanting you to do that, but at the same time, we're, we're we're placing these very stringent energy performance criteria on that on that glass that you're that you're designing. So it's it's challenging us as fabricators and, and coders to design and engineer coatings that can ultimately comply with these higher energy standards and and in the amount of window-to-wall ratio that's being required for for facades today. So bigger uh, glass for sure. Uh, You know, in Florida, with the hurricane requirements, unfortunately, uh, we've had a limit on glass size here, more so from a design performance standpoint of the overall frame of about 40 square feet per individual light. And I would say that outside of Florida, we routinely are seeing 50, 60, 70 square foot uh, panel sizes being de- uh, being designed, in other words, Florida ceiling glass, um, again, at points outside of Florida. But back in Florida, with the restrictions of the hurricane requirements and the impact and the cycle testing that's, um, that's required, uh, the larger glass sizes have a more difficult time of, of passing, particularly the cycle testing. So, I would say that that larger glass design trend, while it's it's uh I see it in Florida as being something that that architects want, it's difficult to give them that because many of the framing companies are not tested greater than forty square feet uh or or maybe fifty square feet so the trend is for larger glass, but more companies need to step up and and retest their uh, their hurricane systems with these larger panels.
0: yeah, we see that same thing. In Florida projects, we have you know there's, it's a very vibrant market, particularly in Miami. They're bringing in architects from all over the world, Europe, um, New York would be two places that that come to mind the most, but but all, other areas as well. And they come in and they and they want just as you said, they want these really large pieces of glass, and and we try to do everything we can to work with an architect and give them what they want. You know, they're the they've got the the genius of figuring out you know how to put things together and have a really great iconic project but sometimes you just have to fall back and you just can't do it with with wind loads and windborne debris and things like that
1: no i for sure i and i working here in florida with architects over all the years i sense the frustration at design meetings particularly from folks that transfer into florida that are coming from points where big glass was the norm, or bigger glass was the norm, and, and now you're, you're there's such a limiter here, and it, not just in glass size, but in, in other uh, configurations as well. So, yeah, it, it's frustrating, but I, I will say that uh, the good news is that there's hope that there are companies that are out there, uh, some of the big box uh, companies, Conyer, NFCO, and, and um, uh, YKK, and others are testing larger sizes, and then, of course, the regional curtain wall fabricators here located in Florida are also seeing the same thing, that they're always being challenged to design something bigger and better. And so we're seeing 50 and 60 square foot sizes, which is uh, which is a step in the right direction. We can we can certainly design the glass to meet and build the glass to meet those sizes. It's what will pass the cycle test, ultimately, that that uh, is the limiter on glass size for here in Florida. And two, keep in mind that larger glass comes with a cost, ball. So there's a there's a, a cost premium of, of uh, using larger glass. Typically, anything over 50 square foot in the marketplace starts to get into price premiums from the various fabricators. So designers need to keep that in mind as well.
0: What, with, with the larger pieces of glass, what's the risk with regards to seeing visual distortion, perceptible distortion through the glass? Is it greater than a smaller piece, or how, how does that how, how does that work?
1: You know, uh, distortion uh, really relative to glass size. I would I would say the aspect ratio of a glass would play more on that than anything else. Um, and then tell know, us
0: what the aspect ratio is. Yeah, sure. So the the length uh,
1: to width, in other words, if if the aspect ratio, let's say if if a of glass is six foot by six foot. Um, The the risk for distortion there would be greater, and particularly I'm talking about an insulated unit now, I'll explain, than would be a, let's say, a 4 by 9 panel. That's more rectangular in nature, so it's got a longer aspect ratio, if you will, again, the width compared to the height. Um, The issue there being in an insulated unit, Paul, um, for Florida, impact compliance, These are unbalanced insulated units. In other words, the the inboard light is the hurricane membrane, the laminated membrane. It's typically a a pane of glass uh, or two panes that are uh, uh, claved together with and bonded with an inner layer that's about 916 inches thick overall. The outboard light is the sacrificial piece of quarter-inch heat-treated or tempered glass. So you have this large unbalanced insulated unit where – the center light is to the outboard, and in an insulated unit that air cavity that hermetically sealed air cavity is constantly changing both in pressure and in temperature, so you have an inward and outward flexing of the glass you can imagine the more square and larger a piece of glass is with that center light outboard, it's actually taking the the bulk of that of that stress in that in that sealed unit so you get some con- concavity or convection outwards uh, where uh, images and reflection all will be distorted and, and we're seeing that particularly on the more reflective I mentioned earlier the more radiant building facades so something to note uh, architecturally if you're designing larger glass sizes particularly here in Florida you have an unbalanced insulated unit uh, what I would recommend doing to mitigate that risk is to use a thicker piece of outboard light maybe a 516 or even a 3 eighths. of course it's cost relative but Again, depending upon the size of the unit, uh, I would highly recommend walking through the, uh, the thicker glass to the outside to balance that unit and try to minimize that, that pressure uh, uh, differential in the air cavity.
0: The reason, the reason I brought up distortion was because we see it all too often on projects where you know large pieces of glass, or as you say, with, with uh, aspect ratios that, are, that promote that, and you've got multiple pieces of glass, you've got a laminated glass inner layer, you've got a high performance coating, you've got an airspace. Who knows the, the framing sometimes can have an effect on that. And we're yeah. seeing it, it's a shame. We see it a lot more than we should. And it can either be result in a very expensive problem and replacing a lot of glass, or you can have a lot of very unhappy people. And I I, I recommend, you know, like you recommend all the things you can do. I recommend paying a lot of attention to that because it just, it comes up at the end of the project. Also, one of the last things that go in is the glass. Well, maybe not the last thing goes in, but it goes in relatively late in the project. It's dirty. You know, it's not cleaned. It may have protective film on it. They clean it up, take the film off, right. Open the building and, uh uh-oh, we have a problem. I think it'd be a very, very big problem.
1: Well, yeah. You know, I honestly, we could we could spend this entire podcast talk about distortion, and, and you're right. And maybe this is a topic that we'll come back and visit. I, I would only say in in uh, in broader terms that, uh, to your point, here in Florida, distortion and glazing is basically an inherent fact of life. Uh, it's it's just part of the deal. Um, to your point, you're using an, a a laminated glass unit with multiple glass plies bonded with a plastic interlayer of of any given thickness. You've got heat treated glass and you've got an insulated cavity that's moving under the exposure to the sun, different temperatures throughout the day. So there's so much going on there that you you add in the aspect ratio we discussed earlier that, uh, yeah, um, you you really want to pay attention to not only the glass design, but certainly the glass fabricator, the coatings that you're choosing. Obviously, we've we've seen an uptick in visual mock-ups to demonstrate the uh, the quality of the glass prior to ordering. Uh, certainly, any any large projects that that's become more of the norm to get architectural and owner buy-in of the look prior to ordering the balance of the glass. And really, it just boils down to having a a conversation, as you just pointed out, with with the clients. And and if you see them going down a path that could be problematic. Uh, in both sides, or perhaps a uh, particular coding, you, you know, you, there's coding uniformity concerns that need to be uh, discussed as well, um, consult them through that, you know, talk them through the the, the do's and the don'ts, and, and then ultimately let them vet that out, and quite frankly, some of this just comes about through a trial and error and experience, you know, you you, you hope that you don't repeat the same thing twice. Um, I know, speaking for us here at Viracon, we, we uh, stringently uh, monitor all aspects of the fabrication process to, to ensure that we get as flat a glass as possible on the building, but inevitably heat treated glass is going to have a roll wave to it, and then you put a reflective coating on it, you insulate it, you laminate it, and uh, then you put a, a, another building adjacent to it that you're reflecting off that skin, and, and distortion uh, can happen, and, and in fact will happen. But deal with reliable people. And uh, hopefully they can walk you through the uh, the concerns, you look at the mock-up, vet that through. And I guess in, in hindsight, the best I can say at the process, just make sure you're dealing with quality people.
0: Yeah, because the ASTM specifications that cover flat glass and heat-treated products and whatnot, one of the things they say up front is that all glass has some degree of distortion. And people probably don't realize that but it's just it's so it's the degree of distortion and and whether it's perceptible or not you, you certainly don't want to be looking out through a light of glass and have it look like you're at the fun house at the carnival so it's a big deal and we we're seeing it as i say more than we'd like to so yeah, and I'll, one, one last little line of questions and i think sure. we're getting ready to get into the end of our time limit um we're all flying high right now, you know, we're GCI consultants is very busy. I know Viracon's is very busy. I know the glass industry is very busy with, with lead, longer lead times, opening factories, things like that. What, what do you see and what does Viracon see with the current business climate and what's coming down the road? Yeah, well, thankfully, you're right. Um,
1: at least you're in North America. We've been blessed with a with a very active commercial building market, and, and looked that look to continue that uh, for the several years to come. In our forecasting, we we see uh, we see a positive trend upward through uh, 2020 uh, in our in our core market here domestically. But you know, it, it's uh, it's an interesting question because, frankly, the, the run up that we're in now, if you recall, sort of caught the market here off guard. A couple of years ago, uh, coming out of the, down, uh, the downturn that we experienced in, in, in 9, 10, and 11, we ramped up a lot quicker uh, in the marketplace um, than most folks uh, perceived, ourselves included. And so a couple of years ago, uh, you know, folks were, were dialing down capacity because the, the, the demand obviously was quite low at that time. And then had to rapidly dial it back up as, as demand uh increased. And so it took about a year, year and a half, uh, speaking more internally of, of, of Viricon to to uh, get capacity uh in line with, with the demand. And and we're in a, a good place today with respect to our, again our core market. I think the industry in general, uh the capacities today are are meeting the demands uh again relative to the specific businesses of these fabricators. Uh, We have a longer-term perspective at Viracon because we're dealing with bigger buildings, bigger projects that have more uh, scheduling awareness. And so we have the ability of predicting the backlog a little bit better than someone, for instance, building a 7-Eleven down the street on the corner uh, that may need glass in in a week or two. But I think on balance, uh, if you're a developer or a builder, uh, whether you're dealing with a, a big major fabricator like Viracon or a regional local guy, I think that there's uh, glass available for you in the marketplace in the timeframe that you now need it. I couldn't say that a year and a half ago, Uh, again, in the run-up, there there was definitely a capacity constraint, Uh, but as I said, we're in a much better place now. Uh, I see that continuing, uh, as as I mentioned earlier, for the next two or three years Uh, here in Florida. I think we mirror the balance of the country. Um, The run-up for us has been more on the residential side, uh, particularly on the high-rise side. That has started to slow down somewhat, and I think that will be uh, augmented now with the uh, commercial and, and retail that will build in behind it. So the market itself in Florida um, may change relative to the sector of, of, the, of the construction project, but I think overall it will still be a brisk, um, um, a brisk for us going forward.
0: Yeah, you know, we're seeing similar in our business with – in Florida and also the southeast and other areas, Caribbean and even other parts of the country where condos while they're not going away seem to be slowing down a little bit, we're seeing a lot of multifamily still and we're starting to see office buildings now as well. We've got a couple of lead platinum office buildings that we're working on now that are more recent additions to our portfolio and we're busy and stuff is still coming in pretty rapidly, but as we all know it's cyclical and at some point, you know, we, I, we keep looking having been in this business for so long now, when's it going to slow down haven't seen that yet, but we know it's coming at some point
1: yeah I, I would agree i'm, I'm not uh, I, I know at some point down down the road we'll we'll all probably plateau out and and, and see maybe a just a flat line I, I certainly don't expect the downturn that we experienced prior uh god willing but um you know probably the one thing that i could say from a for, to finish up and, and and wrap up from a uh, from a contracting standpoint relative to the market demand today particularly on the large projects uh buy the glass out quickly. You know, the, the years ago, there was a trend to wait and, and buy it late, and, uh, and and I would say that that would have gotten you in trouble and certainly would have gotten you in big trouble a year and a half ago. So make sure that as a contractor, you're doing your due diligence to get that glass package bought out quickly, get the aluminum um, in, in the glass uh, booked and forecasted at the prospective manufacturing companies and uh, and put it to bed and then move on to the other trades in the company and you know that's probably the the, another trend that I see growing is a more rapid buyout of the glass package knowing that uh, there could be uh, another spike in in, uh, demand and perhaps a, a capacity issue down the road but not only does it lock in your your capacity for your job and and allow you to meet your schedule but it also locks in pricing so obviously costs and scheduling are all important to a contractor. And again, I would just say to try to get on that as quickly as possible and get that bought out.
0: Good stuff. Well, Jeff, thank you very much for coming on board today. It was really interesting and fascinating. I know it's, uh, our listeners are very interested in the energy and the explanations are good. You know, sometimes it seems like voodoo to some of us. So thank you for, for making it understandable. And I'm hoping that, Maybe we can do this again. I love the idea about talking more about distortion and also love thinking about glass damage, scratch glass, things like that, that would be something everybody really needs to, to focus on. So thanks so much for, for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Um, well, and it was good stuff.
1: Thanks for having me, Paul. Ha- happy to be here and, and for sure I look forward to uh, continuing uh, other topics down the road.
0: So this concludes this episode of Everything Building Envelope podcast. Hope you found it interesting and thought provoking. Please subscribe to the Everything Building Envelope podcast at iTunes or Stitcher or visit everythingbuildingenvelope.com where you'll find show notes, previous episodes, and bonus content videos. As an added bonus for visiting EverythingBuildingEnvelope.com, we've added a free white paper that's germane to what we talked about today. It's called What You Need to Know About Energy Codes and Recent Trends for Glazing Systems. Energy code requirements are evolving, and it's very important to keep up with these new developments. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please tell your friends and colleagues about Everything Building Envelope podcast. This is Paul Beer saying so long until next time.